Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Here we are in episode 40, and this time we're going to talk about the ethics of van life. We'll also talk about why you should put your floor down before you put your furniture in. A kind of a crazy tale from the road that maybe I shouldn't tell you about. A product review of a piece of software that might save you from getting screwed over. And a trip to a fantastical place called Bishop's Castle. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. A few things before we get started here. I am in the middle of planning for my trip. In fact, by the time you're listening to this, I will be on my trip. I'm recording this early so that I won't have to worry about this while I'm on my trip. But this trip that I'm talking about, I'm calling Choose the Adventure. And the concept is this. You guys are telling me where to go. I'm not choosing anything. Every decision I make on this trip There's a poll, and you guys using the poll tell me where to go. Now, the first section of the poll is already done, and you guys have decided to send me to the devil, which is in Missouri, and I will go visit this place and report on it. I'm going to do a Facebook Live on it. I'm going to save that recording, and I will post it around, and it'll be in the Facebook group and on the Facebook page. And at builttogo.com, you'll see a little menu item at the top, and that will take you to where you need to be. The poll that's going on right now as I record this is one to tell me what to make in the van, what meal to make. And some of those choices are a bit odd. One of them is stone soup. Another one is surf and turf, and yet another one is stuff found in the woods. And to my chagrin, that one is winning, so that could be an interesting night. Also, just a quick reminder that we do now have a Facebook group. Yes, I know there's 800,000 Van Life Facebook groups, but ours is growing steadily for a week. We're doing pretty good, and the goal of this Facebook group is to of course, be related to the podcast, but also to be the place where there are no stupid questions. Ask your questions. We will answer them supportively and without any of the snark that you find in so many of the other groups. All right, let's get on with it. This episode, we're going to talk about, well, something I saw that caused me to fall deep in thought, and maybe it will to you too. This was posted on a Facebook group by a person by the name of Cameron, and they said question for experienced nomads. I've been full-time for over two years now and beginning to face deeper questions. After seeing so much, I can't help but feel a level of ignorance. Living a life entirely focused on myself instead of being a part of a grounded community. How do you feel valued as a nomad? Boy, there's a lot to unpack in that, and, and some of the grammar confuses me, so I'm not entirely sure that I'm understanding the message completely. But there is some interesting stuff to think about and talk about here. The first one being the obvious. Is van life selfish? Well, yeah, I think my conclusion is yes, van life is selfish. It is something you do for yourself. It is something you do that is catered to yourself. One of the things that's often said is that there's no right way to do van life. Van life is about doing what you want to do. The same thing with building your own van. A lot of the reason that people do that is so they get exactly the van they want. And okay, there's monetary reasons too, but you are going to build the van that you're comfortable with. And typically you're not going to stop building it until you're at that level of comfort. And many of us never get there. So we never stop building our vans, making all of our vans rolling Winchester mystery houses. 
but so it's selfish. Is that a bad thing? I mean, selfishness is generally associated as being a bad trait, but that's because selfishness often takes away from other people. If you are selfish when you're with a group of people, say you go to a buffet and there are three donuts left and you take all three, even though you see two little kids in line behind you, that would be selfish and you would be harming somebody else. But is your act of going out and living on the road or traveling on the road, building your own van, living off the grid to some extent, does that harm anyone else? Let's take a closer look at that. Our society is not designed to deal with people like that. Everything in society assumes that you are going to have an address, a physical home, a place that you live that is yours. And taxes are based on that as well. You are taxed based on where you live. The services that support the community around where you live depend on the taxes of the people who live there. If you don't participate in that system, then there is tax revenue missing for services that actually do support you. One example is the fire department. So I live in Chicago, Illinois. I pay fairly high taxes to live in Chicago, Illinois. And when I call 911 and say, hey, my house is on fire, the fire department comes and they are paid through my tax dollars. But if I'm in my van, kind of stealth parking on a neighborhood street and my van catches on fire, that same fire department is still going to come and put out the fire in my van. But I'm, I'm making this up here, but you get the point. I don't have a fixed address anywhere, so I'm not paying any property taxes anywhere, so I'm not paying for anybody's fire department, and yet I still receive that service. So it's just something interesting to think about. I don't think this is necessarily wrong and bad, but at some level, people who are in vans aren't contributing to society in the same way that people who live in houses do, and I don't blame that on the people who live in vans. I blame that on society, because there should be no reason why you couldn't choose to live in a van and just travel around all the time. I see no ethical problem with that specifically. The problems come about when your wanting to do that interferes with structures that have been put in place, and I think the structures need to bend. In the state of Florida right now, it is illegal to build an off-grid home. So let's say you own 100 acres in Florida and you want to build a cabin in the middle. You can do that, but you can't live there. That's illegal. You must have services. You must have a power line. You must have sewer or water or septic or something like that. And, and the code is there not for safety. It's to force you to participate in this structure of taxation. Now, I'm not going to talk much more about taxation, but it's something to consider that by living the van life and by saving money as we're doing, we're kind of cheating the system a little bit, at least to some people's minds. Again, not to mine. I think it's the system that's wrong. This comes up in strange ways. For example, in some communities, they have a tax on hybrid and electric vehicles. And you might find that shocking. Why are we taxing people who are in environmentally friendly vehicles more? Well, the reason is that the roads are generally paid for with a gas tax. And your Prius and your Honda Civic 
use the same amount of road, but they aren't paying the same amount of tax because the Civic is using more gas than the Prius. <laughs> not that much more. It's probably not the greatest example. So there definitely are things about van life that kind of don't fit with the rest of society. And some of them are even more obvious, like, where do you vote? How do you vote if you don't have a place to live? And if you say live in Colorado, live, you have an address in Colorado where you have a friend who picks up your mail or something, should you be allowed to vote there? I mean, you're voting for a representative who is going to affect the lives of everybody living in Colorado. But if you're on the road all the time and you haven't been in Colorado for two years, is that fair? I don't know. And again, I I do think... uh, I'll keep saying this. I think it's the system that needs to adjust to people wanting to do something that in and of itself isn't a bad thing. In fact, if you are looking at an environmental side of things, it could be seen as a good thing, although that's a whole other can of worms and we won't open that right now. There's another aspect of this that I think we need to talk about, and that is what Cameron mentioned, which was community. Do you have an obligation to be a part of a community? Well, there are some people who would say yes. They would say that if you are not part of a community, if you're not there to help your fellow humans get through life and help to build towns and be part of the structure of government and all that, then you're not fulfilling your obligation as a citizen. It's just something to think about. I'm not going to espouse any particular opinion on that because I really don't know. So when someone says, is van life selfish? Yes, I think it is. Is van life wrong? No, I don't think it is. But I do think it causes problems because society just isn't set up to handle it. And that's a problem that isn't shared just by van life people. It's also shared by homeless people and immigrants who don't have documents and a whole host of other groups of people. And that alone tells me that the solution needs to be in society as a whole. And boy, I don't see much progress being made there. So just some thoughts. I'd be very happy to hear your comments. You can post them in the Facebook group or in comments on the podcast, or you can send me email, whatever. What do you think about that? Is van life selfish? Is it something that should be avoided? Or is it something that should be encouraged? I don't know. All I know is that I have the opportunity to do it to some extent, and I'm going to take that opportunity as much as I can. Okay, Tech Talk! This question comes up a lot, and I have the answer. I have a strong opinion about this, unlike the other stuff, and that is, do you put down your floor before you put down your furniture? And by that, I typically take that to mean your finished floor. So let's say that you have, uh, let's say you have a sprinter van, whatever, a full length sprinter van. You've just insulated the walls. That's good. I recommend you do that first. And now it's time to work on the floor. So the first thing you're going to do is perhaps insulate the floor if you want to do that. And then you're going to put down some plywood most likely. And then the question comes in, do you put your furniture in then and put in the flooring around the footprint of the furniture? Or do you put the flooring to cover the entire floor and then put your furniture on top? And the answer, folks, is put your flooring in first. And here's my argument for that. While it will cost you more money in materials, it will save you a ton of time. A ton of time. The floor is the easiest place to install stuff in your van. It's the most square. It's going to have the fewest cuts. 
especially if you're doing something like sheet linoleum, it's going to be so much easier just to do the whole van. I have stick-on linoleum in my van. It's the, the stick-on tiles, which I have mixed opinions of. It would have taken forever if I had put the furniture in first and then cut that stuff around all the look, little nooks and crannies of the furniture. In fact, 50% of the time I spent installing that stuff was cutting out around the edges and corners. It's just not worth it. All those tiles cost 50 bucks. If I had maybe, you know, put in the furniture first and then cut around it, it I would have saved maybe 10 or 20 bucks, but it would have cost me a day or maybe even two days. It's just not worth it. And there's some other benefits too. If you move your furniture around, like I do and a lot of people do, and you might be like, hey, that cabinet's too big, or, you know, I really want to move the sink. If your floor is finished, it's much easier to do that because otherwise you'd have a big hole in the flooring you'd have to deal with too. Now there's a couple of drawbacks with doing it this way. It does add a little bit of height to the furniture. So you're eating up a tiny little bit of space because whatever you're using for flooring is going to raise everything up a little bit. If it's linoleum or vinyl flooring, that's not going to be a big deal. But if you're using quarter inch or maybe half inch wood flooring, hardwood floors, it can be a little bit more of a deal. And you might want to think maybe about putting the furniture in depending on the circumstances. But overall, I really think the answer is just put the floor in first and don't put that floor in first until you're done with the walls and the ceiling because you don't want to damage the floor with glue and tools and all that while you're working on that stuff because you are going to drop your tools. You are going to drop your tools. And it's not a bad idea that after you put in that floor to cover it up with a tarp and they make rolls of heavy-duty cardboard specifically for this purpose, it wouldn't be a bad idea to protect it just in case you damaged it while you were doing your other stuff. So that's my advice. I stand by it. If I'm wrong, let me know. A place to visit. In the lovely state of Colorado, there is a... I don't know what you call this place. Basically, there's a guy who decided to build a castle, so he did, and he's still building it today, and his last name is Bishop. Therefore, it is Bishop's Castle. This thing looks like... I don't know what it looks like. I, I have been there. It's a very large structure made of stone and wrought iron. It's very tall, it's the kind of place where you might go to have a wedding. It's also the kind of place you might go and take a wrong step and die. Um, I'm not entirely sure that they have a code in this part of Colorado. In fact, I'm almost positive they don't. Because as I was walking around here, some of the bits felt a little bit unsteady. But it's truly an amazing place to see. He's built a cathedral. He has large spires. There's stained glass tunnels and he's on site if you go visit this place he will be there and you can go talk to him and you will find out that basically he doesn't want to talk to you he just wants to deal with his brick and mortar and keep building and he wants you to go away but don't forget to stop at the gift shop on your way out that all said it's absolutely a wonderful thing you do need to go check this place out. Visiting it is just a donation. You can figure out how much that's going to be. It's open May through October and on weekends, November through April. And you can have weddings there. And the weddings are only 350 bucks. Now, there's not a lot of services there. There's no heat and there's no dressing rooms and stuff like that. But 
350 bucks, you can get married in a castle in the mountains of Colorado. That's pretty amazing. So check it out. It's in Rye, Colorado. That's R-Y-E, Colorado on uh, State Highway 165. Definitely worth a trip if you're exploring Colorado. Tales from the road. Don't worry, we're going to do news too. I was driving to college. Actually, I wasn't driving to college, which is kind of the point of this story. My girlfriend was driving my car with me in it and all of our stuff back to college in West Virginia from Massachusetts, where we had just spent Easter. And I remember specifically it was Easter. And we were on I-90, and I-90, in uh, which is the Mass Turnpike in Massachusetts, has this big corner right around Lee, Massachusetts. And for whatever reason, my girlfriend didn't make the corner and went straight into the guardrail, smashed in the front left of the car, and then grabbed the steering wheel and turned all the way to the right and smashed in the front right of the car, at which point the car spun around and hit every corner several times on the guardrails and finally coming to a stop. We were fine. We were fine. This was in a 1980 Datsun 510, a very well-built car that had really good bumpers, which probably saved us. But uh, we had just come from Easter, and we had a basket of Easter candy in the car, and it was now everywhere. And I remember a little Easter bunny in the back seat waving its little ears right after the accident and playing the Easter parade song, which now haunts me. But that said... Uh, We couldn't drive the car, the fenders were sticking into the wheels, and we clearly needed to get towed, so... uh, People stopped and helped us out very quickly, and the uh, state police showed up, and they wanted to talk to my girlfriend and ask what happened, and I wasn't really involved in that, so I did what anybody would do. I went back to the car and opened the trunk and took out my guitar and climbed on the roof of the guitar and started playing some Cat Stevens songs, specifically the ones from the movie Harold and Maude. I thought this was a fine thing to do, but the state patrolman kept looking at me as he was talking to my girlfriend, and then finally stared at me and asked loudly, Is he okay? Yeah, let me get this straight, lady. All right, then, we'll be off. Nice chatting. And I said, yeah, I'm okay. I just felt like playing some music. And that was good enough for him. And the tow truck came and towed the car away and it was repaired. And I drove that car for another couple of years. So the moral of the story is, I don't know what the moral of the story is, except if you feel like you want to play the guitar, grab the guitar and play it and let everyone else worry about what they're doing. Resource recommendation. I just came across this thing. Um, This is going to... You'll see why I came across this when I get to the news part. But for now, uh, I want you to know about this plugin for Google Chrome. It's called FakeSpot. FakeSpot.com will get you there. And what this thing does is it analyzes the comments, the reviews on Amazon products. And it will flag them if they look suspicious. 
It's really interesting. I've been playing with it a bit. I went back to all my old Amazon orders and let this thing do its magic on it. And I found all these sites that I had bought things from that were kind of shady. And one in particular that it found out was a site that I had just bought some USB-C cables from. And they seem fine. There's no problem with the product. But what this site has been doing is changing the product but keeping the same listing that means all the reviews stay all the positive reviews but they're for other products but when you look at it it looks like wow this thing's got 3,000 reviews this must be great and if you look a little deeper you start to see that some of those reviews are for legos and some of them are for shoes and it's uh yeah Amazon's having a huge problem right now with fake reviews, and it's very difficult for consumers to figure out what they should buy based on the reviews. So I definitely want you guys to check this out. It's fakespot.com. It might save your butt, and it'll at least help you kind of steer away from these sites that are trying to manipulate the algorithms rather than just being honest and saying, here's our product, buy it if you think it's a good deal. Q&A, a question that comes up all the time. And winter is coming. Can I use an electric heater in my van? Well, yes. I mean, you can use anything in your van, but are you willing to pay the price necessary for that? Let's take a step back here. What an electric heater does is it takes the positive wire and the negative wire and combines them in a safe, controlled way. And this generates heat. All electric heaters are basically toaster ovens or toasters. If you look inside your toaster and you see those glowing red wires there, that's how they all work at some level. Some of them heat up ceramic and some of them heat up oil. There's all this kind of stuff. But that's basically it. And you are sending maximum current through the wire. So there's basically nothing that's going to draw more current than an electric heater. This means that if you plug your electric heater into your batteries, you're going to kill your battery really, really fast. So a recommendation I have is that if you're going to camp in the winter, have a way to heat your van without relying on the electric heater. And there's lots of articles and podcasts about that. And I will probably do a winter episode here in the next couple of weeks. But having the electric heater in the van is a great idea if you have any chance to plug in. Because a little electric heater that you can plug in, a 1500 watt, which is the, the typical size of those things, can heat up your entire van, quote unquote, for free. You have safety issues with them, you know, they're generating a lot of heat, you have to keep things away from them. But there is a reason to have one in the van. I have a little tiny blue, it's blue, like you care what color it is, but it's blue. It's made by Sunbeam. It's a little two-level heater. I keep it by my desk, actually, but it's perfect for the van because it's a nice rectangular shape. It can fit in the cabinets very easily, and it also acts as just a fan, which is also useful. But I'm never going to run this thing off an inverter. I'm never going to run it off the batteries. I'm only going to use it on those rare times where I have access to household power. So, like many things, yes, you can have it, but there's a price to pay. Let's have some van news. Okay, first, an update from last week. Actually, I have two updates from last week. Um, first update from last week is the Van Life Wave. I was contacted by a gentleman by the name of Sean who has uh, built his own van for a family of four, I might add, and I'm, I'm anxious to talk to him some more about that. But he has been doing the Van Life Wave for a while. He has been doing it at least since August, and he, he sent me a picture of him doing it. So 
he may have invented it. He says he's not claiming that he invented it, but he just started doing it way back then. So I'm confident that this thing can catch on. If you didn't catch last week's episode, um, the van life wave is hold up your left hand, bend over your pinky and ring fingers, make a V with your middle finger and your pointer, and then stick your thumb down so it makes an L with your pointer. And the idea is, is that you're making the letters VL for van life. I think we need a wave. Jeep people have a wave. Pickup truck people have a wave. People on rural roads have a wave. Everyone's got a wave. We need a wave too. So I am uh, a fan of the VW wave. I, oh, it looks like Volkswagen too. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm a fan of the wave. I have a hard time doing it with my hands because they're, they're old and crunchy, but I still like it and I'm going to try to do it. The next news item I'm going to share with you because it makes me happy, although it may make you sad, and that is that there are going to be no peeps until Easter. The company Just Born that makes peeps, the Christmas tree peeps, the pumpkin peeps, all those kind of peeps, they have been canceled because the factory had to close for COVID and they have no people to make peeps. So if you want peeps, your next chance to get a fresh peep is going to be at Easter. Here's an update on that shooting I talked about last week. A van life person who I associated with on Facebook actually was parked about mile marker 336 on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And about three o'clock in the morning, he heard someone climbing up the ladder on his van and he chose not to confront them because he didn't know what would happen. Now, Blue Ridge Parkway, if you're not familiar with, is an isolated scenic road there there aren't any towns on it it's just for people visiting the area so the idea that you're being broken in there is a little strange because there shouldn't be anybody there except fellow travelers well there's more to the story that we've learned the guy climbed up on the ladder and then he started smashing in the skylight trying to get into the van and so the person i know from facebook shot him with the gun he had And the guy fell off the van, the van owner called the police, the police showed up and arrested basically everybody. Now the guy driving the van was held for six hours and released and it doesn't seem like there are going to be any charges filed because the other person was clearly trying to break into his van and it was reasonable for him to be afraid for his life. Their story was interesting. They claimed that they were driving along the Blue Ridge Parkway, again, three o'clock in the morning, and ran out of gas. So they were trying to get some gas so they could get home. Well, folks, if you're going to siphon gas out of someone's van, breaking through the skylight is probably not the way to do that. I'm just saying, there's other places to get gas, like, you know, the gas cap. But, hey, to each crime their own. It turns out that the couple who were involved in the theft were uh, under some kind of drugs, and there was drug paraphernalia found, and they are being held and jailed and charged. So I just wanted to give you an update on that. It is still an interesting story. It's the kind of thing none of us ever want to have happen, but I think that we need to talk about these things when they do happen. Another piece of news is that if you use CarPlay, that is the in-dash solution for iPhones, Waze has a problem. It has a bunch of problems, actually, and they're trying to figure it out, but it messes up your volume. So if you've been having problems with your volume in Waze, where you turn up the Waze volume, but then you can't change the music volume... That's why there's a problem between the OS and Waze. So it's well known, but it's been going on for weeks now and there is no solution yet. Also, Google has a problem where it's been sending people down roads that are not roads 
people have been getting stuck because Google says, hey, go this way, and then they find they're on the side of a mountain on a billy goat trail. So, yeah, it's a tough time for GPS apps. And the last bit of news is that fake reviews on Amazon have gotten so rampant that you basically can't trust any reviews. That fake spot program is a great way to help you out, but there's a few other tips you can do. And I'm just going to give you one really quick right here. And that is don't trust the five-star reviews and don't trust the one-star reviews. Concentrate on the middle reviews and look for a large number of two, three, and four-star reviews. They're going to be the most honest. And honestly, at this point, I'm going to trust a review with four stars more than I'm going to trust a review with five stars. It's It's a problem. This is modern life here, and until Amazon does something to fix it, that's where we are. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to this episode 40. Music, as always, was by Simon Wagg. And just a quick reminder that we are on all the social medias. I'm not really great at Instagram. I'm trying to get better. But we are College of Curiosity on Instagram. Built to Go on Facebook, there's a page and a group, and we are Call, C-O-L, of Curiosity on Twitter. Until next time, remember what Robert Louis Stevenson said. There are no foreign lands. It is the traveler only who is foreign.